Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Hey friends, today I want to talk to you about my three pillar framework, compassion for self, empathy for others, and accountability for both. And why I believe that this isn't just a leadership framework. This isn't just something that is a checklist to exist in the workplace, but this is just a way to live. This is a way to be, this is a way to exist, how to see ourselves, how to work with and interact in this world that we are in. And by really taking these three pillars and embodying it in everything that we touch and we act in can really change the way that we see humanity and the way that we experience life in general. So take today as a conversation with you as an insight into why these three pillars are so important for any person to just show up and have the courage to show up. What I believe is that the world truly needs more emotional intelligence and Right now, and you've heard me say this a few times in former episodes, and if this is your first time hearing me speak, then welcome, and you're going to hear this quite a bit, but the world needs more emotional intelligence, and we need to really look at and evaluate how do we reward behavior? How do we reward what wins and what loses? Living in corporate America living in a capitalist environment and really thinking about that, you know, ultimately to run a business and to survive, of course, bottom line, how much you're making, how much profit you're creating. Of course, that matters. That matters a lot because that is what's going to pay your bills. That's what's going to help you create financial stability for your family. That is what's going to help you hire people so that you can continue focusing on the parts of your business and your life and work that you love and you're giving opportunities to bring in workforce and labor that is then empowering your employees. So yes, that is very, very important. But if we continue to focus on just that money piece and we forget to reward good behavior, we justify it, then we end up in situations and in an environment that can be quite toxic. So what I believe in and what I think is rewarding higher conscious behavior, especially among our leaders, 
you know, it's not necessarily that we don't have the tools and that we don't have the technology and that we don't have the resources. It's that we forgot to hold our leaders accountable. The environment of having a yes culture, you know, coming from a corporate environment that really is staying with molding into the culture that we have and not challenging the status quo can create a toxic environment, can feel othered very quickly. So being an effective leader is not just about the end goal, but it's the transformation and igniting consciousness in every individual you're empowering. And that empowering can happen in the workplace. It can happen outside in your homes, in your society, in your community. It's a partnership with those that are mutually invested to create such a deep investment. So in the alignment of your vision, in that mission that you have, You know, we can become much more effective leaders when we start identifying and really focusing on our mindsets. Our minds are so powerful and we can absolutely create the reality that we want. We can have the identity we want, but we need to first address what is going on in our mind, what is going on internally for us so that we don't project it outwardly, so that we don't allow the external situations and environment to actually dictate and control our identity, but we are taking control of our identity to then stay and exist in an environment to build that resilience. You know, I often ask individuals, do we let circumstances dictate our intentions or do we have our intentions dictate the reality we live and continue to build? So essentially, what is the narrative that you want? What is the identity you want to hold? And how is that identity going to create the world that you see? You know, when I think about going to the movies and, you know, fun fact, I was actually a film major in undergrad. And one of the things that we talked about in our classes was how when you're going to a movie and when a director is making that movie and you're sitting there now watching it in the theater with about 30 other people, 40 other people, there are 40 versions of that same movie being made because it is not the movie that is telling us what we need to see. It's our lived experiences and the way that we portray and we experience from our past that is actually dictating what we are taking out from that movie. What resonates with us may not resonate with the other person that we just came to the movie with. So similarly, when we are in an environment where we have to interact with each other, we have to support each other, we have to make some really crucial decisions, it is our perceived behind the scenes experience narrative that is dictating the way that we're going to interact with this. And one of the areas that I focus on, of course, is, you know, supporting and empowering women because I want to help women raise their consciousness and fiercely commit to their own growth so that women can find compassion for themselves. There's such a narrative that's written about always giving, sacrificing yourself, taking a back seat. And when we talk about women empowerment and how this is becoming a movement, well, this needs to be something where it's just an acknowledgement, it's a recognition that is needed. So how do we find the ability to have empathy for others 
And how do we create an environment where we are truly leading with the higher consciousness? We're leading with placing humanity first and how we're showing up for each other. Well, we can't show up for each other if we never leave our own bubble environment. We are never going to lead and having putting things into context and knowing how to show up for somebody else if we cannot show up for ourselves. One of the most difficult experiences that I have had, and there are many, but one of the challenges is when you leave corporate and you become an entrepreneur and you're starting to build a business and every single vulnerability, every single anxiety, every single insecurity that you've ever thought about yourself comes right in front of you. Because in order to lead others, in order to build a business, in order to feel that I can go out there and be visible, I need to first address what's going on within me internally. Otherwise, I'm never going to show up. It took me nine months to actually get out and actually say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I support women and work with leadership mindset. I kept reiterating it. I kept hiding. I kept creating, but not actually putting out there because there was this fear and vulnerability of like, what are people going to think about this? And this is the reality, regardless if you are building your own business or whether you're stepping into the shoes of a leader right now for the first time in an organization. So I wanted to just go through what my three pillars are and why I think that they are so well balanced for each piece and how this can really help leaders and individuals show up for themselves in their day-to-day life and also when they are functioning in a position of leadership. So the first one is compassion for self. So what does that even mean? Compassion for self is the idea of put your oxygen mask on you before you put it on somebody else. It's a deeper than self-awareness. It's a rise of consciousness. It's a deepening of your relationship with yourself. It's honoring who you are and staying true to serving yourself with what benefits you and empowers you. It's the kindness you show yourself, the compassion to accept for yourself, detach from conditioning that, you know, creates havoc and debilitates that negative self-talk. So how can you give yourself a bit of compassion as you expand your business? This is something I actually teach my clients in my coaching program, and I'm going to share it with you right now, but... When I think about that, I think about the compassion piece as more than just, you know, doing the acts of self-care and journaling and meditating and all of that. Compassion is actually really stripping away the social conditions, the narrative that has been written about you by other people. It's these lived experiences and framing it in a way that places you in an empowering situation versus a victimhood. It's the lessons that you learn in how to shift the negative pattern thinking and how to take away the shoulds, the coulds, the must, I should have, I regret this. The excuses that we make for empowering ourselves like, well, I did that, but you know, is it really important? Or anyone could have done that. It's owning it. It's recognizing how are the lessons in the past actually important lessons for me to show up today from a form of thinking in abundance and relinquishing and releasing the scarcity mindset. Thinking from a place of having compassion for self is the self-worth. 
what is my self-worth? What is my self-regard? How do I see myself? What is the confidence that I have in me that I know I can do this? It's the valuing ourselves based off of the competencies that we have versus am I likable? It's taking ownership over our own identity versus leaving it in the hands of others and asking them what they think about us, what they think about the way that we lead, what do they think about our product, what do they think about the way that my team is functioning. There's a difference between having the self-awareness of how do I want to be? And then of course, bridging that gap with the external self-awareness piece, which is how do others perceive me and making sure that that they are in sync. But that is more, again, of taking back control of this is the way that I have been perceived. Why is that? What are my actions? What are my behaviors? What are the words that I'm using? And what is the environment and circumstance that's occurring around me that is creating this type of a response? And is this the response that I want others to have towards me? Is that perceived reputation the accurate one or the one that I actually feel aligned to? And that's what compassion for self is. Compassion for self is really evaluating the limiting beliefs, looking at the negative pattern thinking. It's reframing word choice. It's looking at the power of your words and how you experience the way that you show up so that it's truly an alignment with who you are. One of the activities that I have my clients do is to figure out what kind of a leader they are. And to really look internally instead of looking externally and saying like, well, I like their leadership style, I like their leadership style. Well, leadership is not just a, you know, overarching theme of, okay, well, there's different styles like servant leadership, transformational leadership, transactional leadership. There's multitudes of styles that are out there. And we can go into that on, you know, another time, but what I wanted to focus on is that even within looking at all these different frameworks, we can get really stuck in, okay, well, technically a servant leadership does X, Y, and Z, and they don't do the latter. And so does that fit with me? And instead of trying to fit ourselves into a box of, I'm going to follow this, it's taking and learning all the different styles that do exist, but what feels most innately comfortable for me so that I can go out there and exist with my set of values. So one of the things that I have people do, and you know, funny enough, this is an activity that even as a clinical therapist, I used to give to my clients from a relationship perspective. However, I was able to take the same activity and create it in the context of a leader and it works just as effectively. So what you're going to do is you're going to take a piece of paper and you're going to write down the names of four to five of your former bosses, people who played a significant role in your life. You're going to put their names, you know, horizontally across, and then you're going to draw some vertical lines and make a pro and con list for each. And what you're going to focus on for the pro and con list is what you liked about them as a leader, what you believe they handled well, what characteristics and skills did they have that you admire? Then I want you to write down the traits that rubbed you the wrong way. What was a weakness of theirs? What was a challenge of theirs? What didn't resonate with you? And what ultimately led you to either wanting to leave their team or 
that you continue to remain in touch with them. And now that you have that list, I want you to put that to the side. And I want you on a separate piece of paper to write down your own values. And where do you rest on those values? So for example, you know, there's values such as trust and respect and integrity. Well, those things can mean something very different to me than they mean to somebody else. And of course, yes, there's the Webster dictionary, but we're looking at what does it mean to you specifically? When you define trust, what does that mean? Because the way that I define it and the way someone else defines it is different. And if we don't acknowledge what that truly means and stands for, for you, it can also create a lot of miscommunication when there are other people in the room. So write down about five to six values that are incredibly important to you. If it's even more, you know, try to keep it less than 10 if you can. And now I want you to go back to the original list with the leaders and the pro and cons. And I want you to take a highlighter or, you know, take a, take a pen and start circling. But I want you to highlight a theme that you see coming across your former bosses about what you didn't like. What was the common theme that was coming across? Was there something that seems to be showing up between each one of them? Why did it get under your skin? What about it bothered you? And so this could be something like, you noticed that some of the leaders that you worked with that used in the con list, that they were micromanagers, that they had a lot of anxiety in terms of letting go, relinquishing control. And this just did not sit well with you. And you see this as a reoccurring theme between all of them. And you look at the underlying factor of like, okay, well, what is causing them from relinquishing control? And then taking that moment to what does that mean for you? How did it make you feel when you were under a microscope? What was that emotion that came through? How did it affect your productivity? How did it affect the way that you worked with them? And what did it do to the relationship and the dynamic of that relationship? What part of that aligns with your values and how come? So meaning that in the positive piece, so we looked at the negative, but in the positive, what was a common theme that was coming across with all the leaders and what was it that was resonating with you? What aligned with you? How did you see the way that they handled situations? Maybe it's difficult situations you saw them handle and you either appreciated or didn't like it. One thing I want to acknowledge is that, you know, humans are very complex. So it's okay to hold space for one person that there may be qualities that you just did not appreciate in them. But at the same time, there were things that you truly credit them for. I definitely have that. I definitely have former mentors of mine, former bosses of mine that I had a very difficult relationship with. And it actually took me some time to heal after I left that position. However, after healing, I was able to see the positive and the qualities that they did, how much I learned in those positions, how much I learned under their leadership, the things that I do really appreciate and what I don't appreciate. And that helped me really understand what sat uncomfortably within myself. And when you're in this process, what I want you to really uncover is that each one of your bosses, you know, is human, right? They all have their blind spots and they have their strengths, but these are our earlier experiences of role modeling in leadership. A lot of times, like what we talk about it with our parents are when we're kids, but from a leadership perspective, you know, our very first job, the way we get molded, the way that we lean into it, you know, think about it when you become a leader and when you're in that position, the first instinct, when you're in a situation where you haven't handled it before, you may think back to, well, how did that boss handle it? 
Okay, let me try to apply that. And when we become clear and aware of how someone handled it, but it was a way that I didn't really like, or it was a way that I really, really appreciated. And I think that that could work here. That will help you really raise that awareness of I'm not acting just out of reaction, but I am thinking intently on how I want to show up for this situation. So when we're thinking about the negative, right, the con and the themes that were coming up around that, what I'm really looking for and what I want you to look for is that common negativity that was coming up. What about it just didn't sit with you well? Why did it not sit with you well? Is this and could it be a projection of something that you're not ready to face within yourself? Is this something that you're worried you may show up as as well? So how do we uncover that and how do we make peace with it? And how do we make sure that we recognize what we're going to do if that scenario and situation does occur? So this is something that I do with my clients and you can imagine how in depth we probably get and what we uncover when someone realizes that the leader that they had most frustrations with was because of experiences that they had nothing to do with their boss, but something that was blocked out and never released within themselves. Here's the thing, friends, (laughs) when we are stunted And when we are stuck and from growing or learning and releasing our past, giving forgiveness and permission to release, the only time we actually have allow ourselves to expand and how we experience relationships in the world around us is when we forgive, when we give ourselves permission to release some of that blocks that we've had and we've been carrying with us. And all that matters as a leader, because now you're role modeling to others and you're creating cultural dynamic that is setting the tone for how other people experience your leadership. And until we can give ourselves permission to be compassionate to ourselves and learn who we are and really show up, like really, really learn, like, yeah, that is a blind spot of mine and I'm working on fixing it. I'm working on evolving. I'm learning on growing and releasing it. That is when we can finally then have empathy for others, which leads me to my second pillar. So empathy is going beyond hearing the words of what other experiences. It's breaking barriers and walls from their experience versus your experience. It's experiencing their pain, their happiness through their eyes And it's really understanding, you know, how this particular situation makes such a different impact on them versus somebody else. It's because of who they are, right? It's a combination of their DNA, their environment, their social conditioning. But as an empath and as someone who experiences empathy for somebody else, you're able to step into their shoes without necessarily releasing yourself. And that's really, really important to take away right here is that you can experience empathy for somebody else. And you can take on what it may be to be in their shoes without necessarily having to completely have their energy absorb you and you forget yourself. And that's why that compassion piece is so critical because really identifying, knowing yourself so freaking well is going to be the foundation for you to be able to confidently have empathy for someone else without it overwhelming you. Here's a thing that people may not realize, and I'm not sure if you do, that's fantastic, but the piece about empathy is that you have to also remove yourself completely because this isn't about you. You're not in this. This is about the other person. It's about that human, and it's our souls that are connecting and that we're feeling. And here are three kinds of empathy that exist. So 
you know that a lot of times when people say like, oh my gosh, like I really understand what they're going through, but I don't necessarily feel it. Like I can get it, but I don't feel it. Well, that's cognitive empathy. It's when someone can intellectualize empathy. So they understand it from a contextual perspective, but they don't actually take on the emotions of someone else. So they are like, okay, you know what? I understand what they may have gone through. Like that's quite difficult. And so they're able to recognize it from a place of context, but they don't necessarily feel the emotions. Then there is emotional empathy. And this is really common. So this is when you not only experience and understand what someone else is experiencing, but you can also feel their emotions. Your sensations in your body is responding to the experience someone else has had. And so this type of empathy can sometimes be debilitating when it comes to making decisions because you're just overwhelmed with this experience of sadness or anger or frustration and you feel it within you as well and you're just completely fully enwrapped by that. And the third type is compassionate empathy. So compassion empathy is when not only are you intellectualizing empathy and you're feeling their feelings, but you're so deeply moved by them that you are inspired to help them. You are inspired to create some kind of action. It's going to get you out of your seat and pick up that phone call to make a donation or you're going to take them and you're going to clear your entire schedule so you can be there for that person. So one of the most important things to remember about this pillar and understand is that these three different kinds of empathy that exist and how as leaders can we recognize which one we are experiencing? How do we know in which circumstance we can raise our awareness and either lean into it or lean back from it? So if you are someone who experiences compassion and empathy all the time and you are just inspired to act, what that can do is because you are feeling in that moment such adrenaline rush and you are just excited to help them and be there and be their savior, it can create this moment of having impulsive reactions to making decisions that aren't necessarily well thought out. So how do we tap into and recognize that, okay, I am feeling this emotion and that's where active listening and reframing how you speak to them comes into practice. When you're feeling someone's emotion and you're recognizing how this is making you feel, This is where stating it back to them saying, wow, I really feel your emotions. I really feel how this is making you sad. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Or I am really experiencing the sadness with you. And thank you for sharing that vulnerability. What I am hearing is that you are going through X, Y, and Z. By stating that out loud and saying, I am hearing you that you are experiencing X, Y, and Z, it helps our brain distinguish that this is still not our emotion. It's an emotion that we are just inspired by and we have just heard and now we are responding to that. It lets us separate it from and puts something in the middle there so that we aren't necessarily going to act right out of impulse. What we do then and the way that we communicate, and this is literally what I tell my clients to do in my coaching programs, and when I work on work with them on one-on-one when they have an excess amount of empathy and they got to set those boundaries, is I tell them, after you have activated active listening and reframing, then it's the piece about accountability that comes in. And this accountability piece that I'll get into in a minute, but what I wanted to mention is that by honoring the empathy 
and honoring the act of listening and reframing it back to them allows you to separate yourself a little bit, tap into recognizing like, aha, I am feeling this kind of empathy and I know what this can do to me. This is what what happens if I don't uh, take more ownership over the fact that this is an emotion right now that I'm going through, but that empathy does not mean immediate decisions. It just means I can now understand where this person is coming from. It is not justifying their actions. It is not giving them more leeway. It is taking their experience into consideration for when you do ultimately make decisions. So this piece leads me down to the accountability part, because in that conversation, after you have reframed it and validated it, then you are going to state and say, well, I know that this is something really important. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Thank you for being so transparent. Thank you for trusting me that you, and being candid with what's going on. I want to make sure that we really recognize your challenge. I need to sit with this and come up with a couple solutions that will be supportive of you but will also be supportive and make sure that the long-term impact and how it's going to impact our team and everything is okay. So I'm going to take X amount of time, hours, days, whatever, to figure something out and I will come back to you. And of course, if I need to run this by my higher ups or if I need to run this by someone else, I'm going to do that. And so what you're doing there is you are, again, showing the compassion, showing the empathy of being there, of recognizing what they're saying, but also holding yourself accountable that in the response of wanting to give them so much, you're not going to ultimately make decisions that are going to affect so many other people on your team and yourself. And you're going to include them in that conversation by asking them, is there anything else that you would like to share with me that's going to help make these decisions better? Is there a solution that you have in mind that you are considering that I can take back and reflect on? So you ask them for that. And then when they give that to you, you're able to move away from that meeting with ideas now and recognizing what they are really wanting instead of assuming it, coming up with here are, you know, here's how I'm feeling about the situation. This is, you know, processing the empathy, but then also going into it and deciding on what are some couple solutions and what would be the impact of that solution? Do I need to run it by different team members? Do I need to run it by a different leader? Do I need to run it by my higher ups? Or is this a decision that I can truly take on my own? Once you've come to that and you've created a couple of decisions, you run it by somebody else to make sure that you've thought of every single piece that you may not be recognizing, going back to the individual and saying, here are two proposals, here's two ideas, which one sits best with you? Giving them ultimately the power and choice in their situation, but you are presenting to them two specific solutions that you are comfortable with, that you know are fully vetted. And so regardless of which way they choose, it's going to be okay. And with that comes the conversation on letting them choose if they have to even, if they ask for adjustments or they ask for anything more, knowing your deal breakers, knowing that these are the things that I know that we cannot do, giving the person context behind it, and then holding yourself responsible by saying, 
you know what, these are the the options we have once we've decided on one, let's then set a time, whether it's two months from now, three months from now, wherever it is, to reevaluate if this is working, if we need to make adjustments, if we need to readdress something new. So when we do that and when we readdress something new, we're then able to create accountability for them and ourselves that, hey, we're giving you this solution. We are working with you as partners. I recognize and heard what your challenge is and here's how we're gonna solve it, but we're gonna solve it in partnership because if it's not working down the road, there isn't this place of having made decisions that are going to create create a domino effect that's going to affect everybody else, but it's also creating a space where we both get to reevaluate if this is working or not working and how are we then going to readdress and create a new solution in place. So the pillar of accountability, and when I think about accountability, it is recognizing how we communicate with our peers or teams to know the difference between, you know, when we're going to show up as a coach, a mentor, a boss, a leader, because each one of these roles is really different and they require you to show a different side of you. And the only way to be cognizant of which one you're tapping into first by giving compassion to yourself and raising your own awareness and asking yourself to show up in these situations You know, what's really interesting in my research that I found is that 72% of leaders realize how important it is for them to show up with accountability for their teams, but only 31% actually practice this. 31%. That's it. And did you also know that because of the lack of accountability and the fact that it's only top down, teams lose engagement, they lose trust, they spend more energy worrying about their actions than worrying about what they're producing? So what would it mean for a leader to show up equally accountable as they expect their teams to do? And how do you even show your team that you generally practice what you preach? Accountability is fairness, right? It's role modeling what it means to give feedback, to receive feedback, to create safe environments, innovate, create, engage for yourself and your team, to create a space that is filled with trust and openness. The fear of failure is removed and you're showing your teams that it's okay to fail, that you're going to learn from that mistake and you're going to challenge them to come up with solutions as well and bring it forth. It's empowering your team to grow and you continue to share your higher consciousness of awareness and you still continue to have compassion for yourself because you are showing up for yourself every single time you're holding yourself accountable to your team. So how do you do this? Asking for your team to give feedback. They're not going to at first because they've been trained by other places that if they're transparent, it won't help them. It might cost them. So let me give you an example. A while back, I worked in an organization with my first manager, who was also a very new manager. It was his first time leading a direct report, me. And this was my first corporate job as well, by the way. So as I was attending meetings with him, I remained quiet and I was new to corporate. I'm sitting in meetings with a bunch of directors and executives, and I really wasn't sure what to make what to say and how I would sound. So I stayed quiet and he would then tell me that I need you to speak up. So I said, okay, fine, I will. So next meeting I spoke up and immediately, as soon as I spoke up, my manager got on his Blackberry and yes, friends, this was the day where Blackberries were all the rage. But as I would see this action of his where he's on his phone and I know that it was not with bad intention. I know he was just trying to be timely and effective and, you know, multitask. But what that sent the message to me was that I'm not, and what I'm sharing is not important enough for 
him to listen to. And if it's not important enough for him to listen to, then why would it be important enough for anyone else to listen to? So I stopped speaking again. And in a one-on-one and very respectfully, you know, he asked me, how come you aren't speaking up at meetings? So I told him and I asked him first, I said, can I share with you why I'm not speaking up? And I want to ask you if you'll be open to hearing some feedback so I can be transparent about my experience. He said yes, but of course with concern, a little nervous. And I continued and I said, you know, I'm new to this company. It's been about three months and I'm still learning the culture. I know I can share valuable information. You continue to encourage me to do this. But when we're in these meetings and you want these leaders to take me seriously, I want them to take me seriously. It first starts with my own boss taking me seriously. And what I mean by that is that I know you believe in me and I know and I appreciate that. But when I speak, the body language shows that you're not interested. The moment I speak up, you're checking your emails and you're disengaged. And I completely understand and know it's done with intention of being efficient. But the message it sends to everybody in the room is that I don't have any value to add. It's not worth listening to me. So for me to speak up, I want you to partner with me and hear me speak. It role models to the other leaders that you genuinely do believe in me. And it's not something I'm hearing in private settings. If you really want to empower me, it's not just telling me in my one-on-ones that you really love what I have to share. You think that my ideas are great, but it's also validating and celebrating that and encouraging that in meetings. Yes, I understand. I'm a millennial and that's what millennials are, but I am the older millennial, by the way. So... Of course, that took him by surprise, right? And he was like, whoa, what just happened here? But he respected that. He respected and thanked me for my honesty. And he understood where I was coming across from because when I shared this with him, I used the I statements. I created a context of the situation. I helped him see the behavior that was happening that was creating this uncomfortable feeling. I helped hold him accountable without attacking or creating some kind of a defensive situation. And so my friends, I share this with you because it's a balance of three and each one of us has each piece of these pillars within us. And all we need to do is learn how to balance it. What are the tools and the skills that we build? It's the subtle shifts we make. I often say to my clients that I'm not going to give you large, massive changes because these large changes will be overwhelming. It will be in the moment and you'll actually revert back because it's too much. But when we focus on the subtle changes, the reframing of the words, the catching ourselves in the moment, the unintentionally personalizing and lacking empathy, that's what makes changes. Things that are sustainable, that are manageable. So as an empath myself, it's so often that I catch myself doing and moving through each one of these steps. These three pillars aren't just like I said, for leadership, but even when I'm interacting with my friends, with my family, it's really continuing to think about how do I see myself in this? How am I respecting myself? And how do I now see the context of the situation of this other person? How do I have empathy for them? And through that, how do we make better decisions? How do we communicate with each other in a transparent way that is kind, that is empathic, and that is respectful, but still creates effective changes for the for the better. And when I talk about being an unapologetic woman, it means a woman who acknowledges all of these moving pieces and seeing herself as human so that her team can also continue to grow with her. So my friends, this is where my leadership framework of compassion for self, empathy for others, and accountability for both 
exists and needs to coexist and leans on each other. But as you can tell, this isn't just a way to lead people in a company and organization, but it's how you show up for yourself in every day in your world and the, the narrative that you create for yourself. And this is what I teach every day when I work with my clients, when I do speaking events, when I'm researching. This is exactly what I believe that if you embody, regardless if you are a first-time leader in an organization, you are building your business, this is going to help you shift the narrative that you have about yourself and show up for everybody else. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.